So again and again in movies, we see this situation arise where the punishment doesn't seem to match the crime, right? So like if, you, if you've seen the movie Aladdin, what is the punishment for Jasmine supposedly stealing an apple? They want to cut off her hand, right? Or, or if you've seen the movie slash musical Les Mis, what is the punishment for Jean Valjean stealing a loaf of bread? It, it's 20 years in prison. <laughs> but the greatest uh, example of this has to be the story of Adam and Eve. A couple eats a piece of forbidden fruit, and the punishment is that all mankind now experiences pain, suffering, and death. And yet within this seemingly imbalanced tale of crime and punishment, we actually discover what has gone wrong with this world and why. And so tonight we're going to look at the origins of this thing we call sin. Uh, And to do that, we're in Genesis chapter 3. So go ahead and look at verse 1 with me. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman. Now we have to pause here for a second because a lot of people pause here. They say, what is going on? Why is there a talking serpent? And by the way, why is Eve's first reaction not, holy smokes, there is a serpent talking to me. Adam, come look at this. Uh, And frankly, the Bible doesn't tell us. It's, It's those type of questions that the Bible doesn't seem interested in answering because it's trying to emphasize something different. It, uh, the point is not, hey, the serpent talks, but hey, the serpent is a creature that is clearly in rebellion against God. And he is interested in getting Adam and Eve to join in that rebellion. And here's how he does it. He comes to Eve and he says to her, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? <laughs> and, and so his master plan is to talk about fruit. And that wouldn't seem like much of a scheme, and yet Eve takes the bite, if you will, and explains to the serpent what is on and off the menu. She says in verse 2 to the serpent, Well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God has said that you shall not eat of the tree, and not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And we have to answer this question. What's up with this fruit, right? H- how could this fruit be so mystical, so amazing that you take one bite of it dooms all mankind to death, right? A- a- and the big deal is not necessarily the fruit itself. It's what the fruit represents. See, uh, see God, up until this point, has been defining what is good and what is evil, Uh, You see it again and again in the first two chapters. God creates this, and he defines it as good. God creates that, and he defines that as good. But then when he places Adam and Eve in the garden, something changes when he gives this command in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 7. He says, you can eat from any tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. So here God again defines for them what is good— And what is evil? But in so doing, he's given Adam and Eve a choice. They can trust him. They can believe that God does have their best in mind. 
and accept his definition of good and evil, or they can rebel against him and define good and evil for themselves. And, and that's what, what this tree, this fruit, represents. It's that choice that they now have to make. As though the serpent pushes them to make that choice by saying to the, the woman in verse 4, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, here was his master plan. It was to convince Adam and Eve that God cannot be trusted, that God doesn't actually have their best in mind, that he's withholding something good from them. And the only way to make sure that they get everything they deserve is if they're in control. Then they will know that they are well taken care of. And that is, at its core, sin. See, we normally define sin as breaking one of God's commands. And, and that's, of course, true. But beneath the action, there is this core belief, this core assumption that we are wiser, know better, and care about ourselves and our well-being more than God does. We sin because we do not trust God and his goodness towards us. And that's what happened with Adam and Eve. They, they began to suspect that, huh, Maybe God is holding something back from me, which is why when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and, and, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And from that moment on, Sin has infected all of mankind. See, all of us have defined good and evil, uh, though we've never put it that bluntly, right? But when we say lie, what we are actually saying is, I know that God has told us that lying is bad, but in this situation, I know better than God. We mistrust him, and so we rebel against him and his decrees. And, and that decision uh, really has thrown everything into a death spiral. Uh, our text records uh, several horrible results that came about because of their sin. Uh, first and foremost, there is a break in our relationship with God. Um, look at verse 8. So after they have eaten from the tree, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, Well, I, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. See, when, whenever Adam and Eve sinned, they fractured their relationship with God. And this shows up in them and in all of us, as a sense of shame. Uh, see, this is not the first time that God came to hang out with Adam and Eve in the garden. And yet, now that they have rebelled against him, they are unable to stand in his presence. And perhaps you've experienced that uh, before whenever you broke one of your parents' rules. Uh, e even if you got away with it, there's still a, a break in the relationship, right? You're unable to look them in the eyes. There's just something that compels you to get away from them. And that's because your shame is letting you know that the relationship is broken. And our, our response to that normally is to run. 
That's what Adam and Eve are trying to do here, but with God, there is nowhere to run. But our relationship with God isn't the only thing that our sin shatters. It also destroys our relationships with one another. Let's continue on in verse 11. God said, well, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, well, the the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, well, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. I really wish I could zoom in on Eve's face right there whenever Adam said that it was not his fault that he ate from the tree, it was Eve's. Because I'm pretty sure that relationship was never the same. See, sin destroys our trust in one another. And here's why that is. When, when we sin, when we define what is good and evil, it is always self-serving. It's always about taking care of me which means that people become things to be used to advance our agenda or to protect ourselves from oncoming hurt or pain. And so whenever people are reduced to tools to be used, it destroys any trust we can have in our fellow man. And there are, of course, many other byproducts that came about, like creation not functioning as it should. But the point is that because of our sin, everything is broken. That because of this cosmic coup, this, this attempt to overthrow the good rule of God, everything is wrong, and there is nothing we can do to fix it. Which makes this passage one of the most tragic texts in the Bible. But it also holds a glimmer of hope. Right there in the middle of God's pronouncement of punishment, the consequences of their decision, we have verse 15. God says that I will put enmity, that is hostility, between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will crush your head, and you will bruise his heel. Smart people, uh, smarter than me, uh, have a fancy word for this verse. They call it the proto-evangelium which is just a fancy way of saying the first good news. This is the first time God shows a a hint, a, a glimmer of the good news that he is going to be responding to their problem, that he is going to fix it, and here's how he's going to do it. There's going to be a figure who will one day rise up and absolutely destroy the serpent. He's going to set all the brokenness and alienation that resulted from sin to right. But in so doing, he will receive a a fatal blow as well. And the rest of the Bible is actually telling and looking toward for this, uh, this individual who will set all things right to Jesus. And the story of Jesus is actually the, one, the greatest account of the punishment not fitting the crime because Jesus committed no crime. He knew no sin. And yet because of this, he was uniquely able to be sin for us, to step in and to bear the full weight of our punishment. See, on the cross, he experienced everything that the serpent's temptation, everything that our, our, our decision had brought about, alienation from God, shame, brokenness in every sense of the word. And on the cross, the serpent bruised his heel, made the death blow, seemingly winning. 
But in so doing, Jesus crushed him and death and sin along with it. And because of his sacrifice for us and his resurrection, we can once again have a relationship with God. All things are being set to right, and we can be convinced of God's trustworthiness and his goodness towards us. And so this story is more than just ancient mythology. It's, it's the account of what has gone wrong with the world, with us, and just how God intends to fix it. And so when we come to this story, we have to realize that each of us faces the same situation that Adam and Eve do. E- each of us are presented with a choice in the form of a new tree. See, 1 Peter 2.24 tells us that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live to righteousness. By his wombs, you have been healed. And so the choice at the tree is this. Will we accept God's goodness and his provision to us in Jesus? Or will we continue to define good and evil for ourselves, strike out on our own, and try to be acceptable some other way? (laughs) 